0: I want to talk to you on the mistake of misplaced priority. I don't like the title, and I'm the one that came up with it. It seems negative. I don't want to do negative stuff, but it is a common mistake to misplace our priority. Now some of you are like, don't you mean priorities as in plural? No. The singularity of the word priority is intentional because Christians must have one priority. God's people must have one, not many, one. And everything else is tethered to the one. Some of you live like this, you say, Well, God comes first, and then his family, and then his work, and then his, you know, rec- my, my community and recreational activities. So I've got this priority list. I've got this. I've got this hierarchy of things that I put in order. That's not the way to live. You know what you gotta do? You gotta put God in the center. He's he's tied to everything. God's first in my relationship with God. God's first in my family, in my parenting, in my dealing with my siblings, in honoring my parents. God's first in my workplace. God's first in my community. God's first in my hobbies. God comes first. He's gotta be the center. It's like a a bicycle tire. Jesus isn't one of the spokes, he's the center, and all the spokes are tied to him. And they're all equally distant from each other. That's a good, balanced life. But if we're honest, we get out of sorts so very easily, and it was like you know a bike with out of sorts priorities or, or misbalanced spokes is bouncing all over the road. And, you know, he's up and down. It's not a smooth ride. How many of you, life, don't raise your hand, but life's not smooth right now. Yeah, yeah, I felt the groan. Well, let's smooth it out, shall we? And and there's this wonderful invitation in the scriptures from Jesus himself, it's in your notes there, it's Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30, one of my favorite verses, and it says this, come to me all who labor and are, what? Heavy, Heavy. let's put this verse up on the screen guys, and it says, and I will give you, that word? Rest. Rest, rest was part of the creation event. Six days God worked, and on the seventh day God rested. So the Bible talks about the rest that the land had once Joshua occupied it for the people of Israel. Uh, Before that, the the ark that Noah was in came to rest on Mount Ararat. And there's an invitation in, in the Psalms and an invitation in Hebrews chapter four that you, the people of God, enter into the rest of God. Did you know that you are made to rest? Rest is a good thing. It's in the top 10, it's number four. Honor the Sabbath. What does Sabbath mean? It means to cease, it means to stop. It means to stop every normal thing and just rest in the presence of your Savior. Hopefully you're doing that today. I, I hope that you can have a day where you don't touch regular work and you can just sit in the presence of the Lord. Not, not not Indian style with their fingers like this and looking weird, no, I'm not talking about that. But just taking a day to say yes to God. That's the invitation Jesus makes here. And then he says, take my yoke upon you. Yoke is about work, partner with me. Let's, a yoke would go on two oxen, take my yoke. Jesus said, Let, let's do this together and learn from me. For I am what? Gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for what? Your souls, you see, that's where God wants to bring the rest, to the deepest part of you. And then he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So there's a problem here. We don't take him up on this offer nearly enough. We're way too busy. We're so occupied with so many things. We're tethered in life to so many responsibilities and relationships and even quasi pseudo responsibilities. Like some of you think that your favorite app is actually something that you must do. And it's not. It's a pseudo-responsibility. It's tethering you to all these things that you think demand your time and effort. And I wonder who today needs to cut some of the tethers off so that you're not pulled in a thousand directions and you settle your soul in with your Savior who invites you to rest. Like, that's the invitation. I know some of you are like, well, doesn't God want me to work for him? Yes, but he wants you to rest. He wants you to work from the rest that he gives you. Anybody notice that today is the first day of the week? Today is what? Sunday, 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 yeah? I used to love those commercials of the monster truck pulls, you know, and all that stuff. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. How many remember those? I love those days. Yeah, yeah. Well, in Jesus, it's Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. It's rest. We don't have to, we don't have to crush any cars today. We can just take it easy. And it's the first day. Now, the Jews, the Hebrews, the Old Testament people, they worshiped on what day? And they still do, by the way. Saturday, which is what day? Number seven. Seven. And so, isn't it interesting that in the old covenant, they worked all week to get to rest, but in the new covenant, we rest first. Somebody say, rest first. You see, you settle yourself in Christ first, and then you work from that rest. And I think that some of you, if you can get this right, your life is going to find balance and peace that you've never had before. Write this down so I know you're getting it. If the devil can't get me to sin, he will try to keep me busy. And that's some of your problems. You're pulled in all kinds of directions. You're pulled in your family life, in several directions, you're trying to please everybody. You're pulled in your work for place. You're always trying to, you know, I don't know, win people's approval. You're stressed about things that aren't even in your domain, and you're always stressed about so many other. Or, or maybe in your community, you're you're obsessed with having the perfect image in your community. The house with the kids, the dogs, the two-car garage, the white picket, fa- I must, and you're just constantly chasing. Or, or some of you, you're involved in the stock market and your whole week is just like a uh, 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 up and down. You're just a mental mess because every nick tip, uh, tick up and every tick down is another tick on your heart. And, or, or some of you, you're just, you've got multiple children and they're different and you're stressed because they're fighting each other and you're fighting them and then they have all these activities and you got to make sure that they're not blaming you for their mental problems later in life so you take them to everything you possibly can and then you have to worry about sicknesses and you have to worry about diseases and you have to worry and then you have to worry about Washington, D.C. and some of you, that doesn't mean you're all worried about Washington, D.C. what are they doing? Those nutcases, what are they doing to us? Anybody with me on that? <laughs> If you're not careful, you just get so busy with things that don't matter, you'll forget about the one who does. I'm gonna look at somebody who did, and it's in Luke chapter 10. Stand with me at all locations. I'm gonna give you a heads up. I don't like this passage. This one bugs me. Because I am somebody in this passage, and some of you are somebody in this passage. And it's the person who gets rebuked in this passage. So today we're gonna talk to one particular kind of person today and that person's name in this passage is Martha. So let's read it together. Verse 38, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called, what? Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, when Jesus says your name twice, watch out. (laughs) You are anxious and troubled about many things. Listen to that again. You are anxious and troubled about many things. Some of you, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to pause, to stop, to rest in you. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. And may we hear your voice, receive your truth, and see Jesus. Him and him only in his mighty name we pray at every location, everybody said. Amen, God bless you, every location, have a seat. Two sisters that we're introduced to in this passage, Martha, Mary, they couldn't be more opposite if they tried. We know that they live in Bethany. Bethany is a village two miles east of Jerusalem. It's still there to this day. There is a place that you can go to in Bethany. It's called Lazarus's tomb. We don't know if it was really Lazarus's tomb, but this is where Lazarus was raised from the dead a week before Jesus's final week in Jerusalem, and so, What has happened in the Gospel of Luke, let's take a look at the context of the Gospel of Luke. We're in Luke's Gospel, we're in chapter 10. And in chapter nine of Luke's Gospel, it begins what commentators call the travel narrative. The travel narrative, because some of you don't know that Jesus' first two years of ministry were front-loaded with miracles. Miracles, signs, and wonders. He was casting out demons. He was uh, raising the dead, he was feeding the thousands with small lunches, and and he was doing wonders before the people um, to to bring them to the truth. And and so at the end of about two years of doing this, uh, he knew that his time was coming to an end. He didn't come to show off and to do a bunch of miracles. He came to die for our sins, amen? That's why Jesus came. The cross wasn't an accident. Uh, It didn't happen to Jesus. The cross wasn't a defeat. The cross wasn't, you know, well, they rejected God tried, and he put his best effort out there, and people, no, no, no. The cross was on purpose, and in, in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says that he resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem and he knew that for the last year of his life, he would travel from the northern area in Galilee, he would cross over the Jordan to Perea, he would come through that area, minister to those people along the way, and back into the city of Jerusalem, and he would die for the sins of the world. Now we are six months away from his cross, and he knows he's got to get there. So this is a travel narrative. Somebody say travel narrative. He's on the way to the cross. And you can imagine that he's got things on his mind. He's got heaviness in his heart. He knows that he's going to be separated from the Father. He knows that the sins of the world are going to be placed on his shoulder. Your sins and my sins are going to be placed on his shoulder. The heaviness of this responsibility. And he's walking. And and, and that's how Luke introduces this text to us in verse 38. Look with me again. It says, as they went on their way. So this is on the way to the cross. And he comes to a village, and a woman named Martha, and Martha is one of those people that you just gotta love because she's the kind of person who sees a need and meets it. I love these people. They get the job done. She sees Jesus, and she just decides, I'm gonna bring him into my house. He looks like he could use a meal. He looks like he could use a place to sleep, and we're we're gonna bring him home, and we're gonna take care of him because this guy's got a heavy load. And so Martha is, some of you, Martha is a type A personality. The doer, the hostess with the mostess. She's on top of it. She is head of the party planning committee. She gets annoyed with Phyllis when Phyllis messes up the color of the streamers. Amen, anybody know what I'm talking about? Any Office fans out there? She is a doer, and she is always on it. She volunteers for community service, she knows people's names, she knows people's allergies, she knows how to please people. And she's an accomplished woman and she's the older sister because her name comes first in the text. And so there's a good chance, by the way, that she's also a widow, so her husband probably died and she's living now with her sister Mary and Lazarus, her brother. And they welcomed Jesus in, and and I think there are many Marthas in all of our locations in this place. Uh, If you are a Martha, type A, get her done, and and maybe you're a guy, and you're like, well, I'm not a woman, and so I don't identify as a woman either, and so, you know, (laughs) uh, so just let's call you a uh, Marty, okay? So if you're a a Marty or a Martha, can you just raise your hand? Let me see all the, look at how quickly the hand's raised. Look at that. They're like, yep, that's me. He said, raise your hand, and I'm going to put my hand right up. There we go. That's the the job that I have been given, and I will do it to the best of my ability, and so um, I hear you, because that's me. I'm a doer, I'm an accomplisher, and I like that, and she is the woman who introduces Jesus to her house, and then the scripture says that she had a sister, verse 39, and the sister's name is Mary, and here's Mary, Mary is the contemplative one. Mary is the one who's just going with the moment. She's living in the moment she's absorbing the presence of she's sitting at his feet and she's listening and she's she is an experience oriented person she just loves to absorb the lord any marys in the house they don't raise their hands you see because they're just in they're just in the moment yes that's me Okay, I've been giving you Bible study pro tips all series long. Let me give you a number five today, here we go. Play the part of the character of each story. You are invited to see yourself somewhere in the spectrum of Martha the doer and Mary the beer. R.C. Sproul taught this passage and he said, uh, Martha is a doobie and Mary is a bebe." Are you a doobie or a beebee? <laughs> Are you a getter, get it done or are you a be in the moment kind of person? And, and some of you, it's one end to the other. And, and, and if I'm in the house that day, Martha has me impressed. Yeah? No, Jesus didn't ask to stay with them. She welcomed Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I got a place for you to stay. Secondly, it's, and how many know, it's a pain to have people over? You know, this is why you don't do it. This is why so many people don't wanna be small group leaders. You mean I have to have people in my home every week? And how many are thankful for their small group leader at Waters Church who opens their doors every week? Come on, let's give them a praise. Thank you so much, every location. Those are the heroes of our church because it is a pain to have people over. But she opens her doors for Jesus. And then she gets busy. And she, she cooks and she bakes and she's serving and she's, and she's doing all of this for Jesus. And so in my opinion, Martha is the hero, but in Jesus' estimation, Martha's the one who needs to be rebuked in this moment. And I don't, I don't understand that because I would think, you know, she's doing all this for you, Jesus, and maybe you could show a little bit of appreciation, and that would be good, but here's what she did. She, she's, she's begging us to ask the same question that I've been asking myself all this week. Are you making the mistake of misplaced priorities? Where everything takes your time and you give no time to the Lord. What does that look like? Well, Martha is exhibit A. Write this down, there's three signs from Martha's life. Sign number one, you've got a misplaced priority. Number one, I have many distractions. I have many distractions. I've got things pulling on me constantly. And that's what I hate about these phones And I know I have the watch and some of you are like, you're a big fat hypocrite because you got the watch that also notifies you about what's going on your phone. And I understand that it's true because the watch always just kind of pulls at you. Ding! Somebody liked your Facebook post. Ooh, who? Hey, look. Oh, with them again, I don't care. You know, move on, right? Oh, it was mom. She's supposed to like my Facebook post. Ding, you know, you've got an appointment coming up. Oh, I don't want to do that appointment. Oh, I don't want to go to that meeting. And ding, and this is our life today. And technology has just wormed its way into our souls. And that's what happens when you're a Martha. You're just, you're pulled in all kinds of directions. Look at how the text says it in verse 40, the first part of the verse. It says, but Martha was distracted. Somebody say distracted. With what? With much serving. There's so many things to do. Jesus is here. Let's get the bed ready. Let's get the let's get the pots on the pan on the on the on the, on the cook on the oven on the stove. Let's get the let's get the, the, the bread kneaded. Let's get everything going. This is G. This is a big time guy. This is a huge prophet. This is God's son. Let's get him going. And she knows that he's God's son because she calls him Lord in this passage. But she doesn't treat him like Lord because she corrects him. It's a funny thing. And this is the Martha's syndrome that many of you are in. You're always busying yourself with Jesus, but you're never hearing Jesus speak to you. You're you're obsessed with what you do for him instead of rooting yourself in what he's done for you. The word distracted in the Greek is perispao, and it means to be pulled as in a leash. It's like a leash on her neck and she's just, and she's not, she doesn't got one leash, she's got like several leashes and they're pulling her in all kinds of directions. Blaise Pascal, a French philosopher and scientist said, he said that the, the, the sole cause of man's unhappiness is that he does not know how to stay quietly in his room. I, I, I'm like that. Here's what I did this week to prepare for this message. I tried to be a Mary. And so I got my phone off and I took my watch off and I moved to the center of my office and I did this follow me camera. And I sat like this and uh, I learned a couple things. Number one, after 40, this, this position is intolerable. This is very painful. <laughs> right now, every muscle in my body wants me to stand up. And I, so I just kind of did this instead. <laughs> and I just sat and I was like, okay, what what is it like to be merry where we're not letting everything pull on us? When did you do this last? I bet it's been months. I bet you, some of you, you've never done it. But Jesus says, this is the one thing that's necessary. One of the Bible pro tips that I gave you was repeated themes and keys, key th- phrases in a Bible book. One of the key phrases in Luke's gospel is necessary. So this passage ties to one of the themes of Luke's gospel. It is necessary that you, you pause with God. And some of you, I'm so excited for you because you're gonna start a new habit. I know you're gonna start a new habit because you really appreciate the preaching and teaching of God's word at this church. That was a terrible amen, but I'm gonna take it. I'll take the two or three people who are still listening, okay? You're gonna start a new habit now to stop what you're doing in life and spend time in the presence of Jesus. This could change your life because there's a lot of problems that Martha's got going on. She's, again, measuring her life, listen to this again, by what she does for God instead of what God has done for her. Now, that leads to some problems. Look at verse 40. She went up to Jesus and said to him, Lord, (laughs) how many of you ever said this to the Lord, do you not care? (laughs) He's the Lord, he loves you, he made you, of course he cares, but sometimes in life we feel like he doesn't care, and Martha is She's in a trap. It's a trap I'm gonna get to in just a moment. Let me unpack the past. Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Oh, Martha, Martha, Martha. Three traps of busyness, write these down. Three traps of busyness that she's in. Number one, she's in the performance trap. The performance trap. Number one. I must do, I must perform, I must achieve. I've gotta have a 4.0. Or I don't feel like I'm worthy. I've got to have the kids in order and disciplined, or I'll feel like a failure as a parent. I've got to get into that, I've got to get into that school, or I'm worthless. And some of you, that is your trap because you have set up these idols. And how many know that idols in your life can be good things? They're not always bad things, they're not always sin. They're not always the big three of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Sometimes an idol is the perfect Christian family. And and to break you free from that idol, God gives you one of those children. You know what I'm talking about. The one you you think, well, I don't know where you came from, but you didn't come from me. God's like, no, he came from me. (laughs) That's my gift to you, to break you free of thinking that your life will be complete if you have the perfect Christian family. Performance trap leads to the comparison trap, number two. Because when when our life is about performance, then we're always looking at other people. Lord, don't you care that my sister, isn't it funny that she's talking about her sister more than she's talking about her? This This is when you're a Martha, and this is the distraction. These are the leashes on your neck. Lord, look at them. Why do you bless them and not me? Don't you see what I have done for you? Don't you see how I have served you? Oh, what did the prodigal son's brother say? When the prodigal son came home and they threw a party and the father was so excited to have his son home and then he saw that somebody was missing in the party, he said, I have two sons, where's the other one? And he found out that the oldest son was still in the field working and so the father goes out of the, out of the house, out of the party and comes to the oldest son and says, come on home, your son, your brother is home. And what does that older brother say? This son of yours, has wasted your inheritance with prostitutes and wild living. And all my life I've served you. And there's another pass, Is there's another translation that says, I've slaved for you and you've given me nothing. Performance trap leads to comparison trap. Some of you, that's where you are. You're not the bad guy or the bad girl, you're the good guy or the good girl. You're the good Christian who thinks that you deserve more because of how you've done for God. Can I tell you that God does not need your performance? What kind of God needs you to perform? A God of your own making. We don't serve a God who is pleased with our offerings and pleased with our sacrifices. We're not gonna fast as a church to show God that we really love him. No, we're gonna fast as a church to show God that we really need him. God does not need me to preach. Did you know that? He can find somebody else. There's a passage in Numbers where there was a donkey that preached at a prophet. God can use. A, God can open the, the mouth of a donkey to preach the word of God. That's a humbling reminder that it is not what I bring to the table, it is what God brings to the table. It is not what you've done, it's what he's done. It's not about your good works, it's about the cross of Jesus Christ. And the comparison trap will lead to the entitlement trap and it's hard to get out of the entitlement trap all these years i've slaved for you and not once did you give me a goat that i might celebrate with my friends older brother mentality good christian mentality i deserve better than this lord i'm serving lord do you not care tell her to help me <laughs> Tell her to help me. What a prayer. (laughs) Have you ever prayed that God would tell somebody else to do something? Yes, you have. Don't act so spiritual. (laughs) Lord, tell them. And I have read the Gospels enough to know that Jesus refuses to be your personal Karen. He will, I'm sorry to offend all the Karens in the house, but you don't understand what I'm talking about. The person who just in, interferes in other people's business. <laughs> Jesus is not interested in telling other people what you want him to tell them. Some of you, you're not getting it. Your life is gonna be miserable because you do this all the time. Lord, fix my husband. (laughs) Fix him, Lord. Fix him, don't you understand? He just doesn't treat me right. Fix him, fix him, Lord. So there's three times in the Gospels where somebody comes to Jesus and asks Jesus to fix somebody else. There's one time where a guy comes to Jesus and says, Lord, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And then Jesus unloads on greed and he directs it at the guy who asked the question. The answer is, be on your guard against all kinds of greed because you can be poor and greedy at the same time. I know Washington DC won't tell you that, (laughs) but Jesus will tell you that you can be poor and greedy because it's not about a financial, it's not about a financial balance in your checking account. It's about a spiritual condition in your heart. So, he corrects the guy. There's another passage, uh, this one's very familiar, where they bring the woman caught in the act of adultery. They say, Moses says to stone her. And what does Jesus do? Let him who is without sin. Go ahead. And then, yeah, and then what happens? It- Doom. Dunk, 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 all the rocks start hitting the sand. Wow. They, they came to Jesus to fix that, no, I'm gonna fix you. <laughs> then there's that passage at the resurrection when Peter and Jesus are walking, and, and Peter's like, what's gonna happen? And Jesus is like, well, you're gonna be led this way, and, and really, he's gonna, you're gonna die a horrible death for me, Peter, and, and Jesus, well, what about him? And he says, don't worry about him, you follow me. See, some of you gotta get to this point where You stop worrying about everybody else, that's another form of busyness. And let God fix you. I I know that there's people that bother you, that's life. But maybe it's not what they're doing to you as much as it is how you're receiving it. Maybe it's not what they're doing to you as much as how you are responding to it. Maybe you're oversensitive. Maybe you need to stop defining yourself by their acceptance. That's another performance trap, yes? Why do they always have to say that about me? Don't they really know me? No, they don't know you, and what they say doesn't define you. You're not defined by the words of others. You're defined by the words of your Father. He he loves you. I'll say it again. You're not defined by the words of others. You're defined by the words of your Father. Thank you for asking me to say it again, sister. They needed to hear it again. You're not defined by what your parents, your sister, your brother, your wife, your husband, your children, you're not defined by what they say about you. If that's your life, you're in the performance trap, which leads to the comparison trap, which leads to the entitlement trap. And before you know it, your prayers are centered on what God needs to do in others instead of what God wants to do in you. Point number two. You're a Martha if you're anxious and troubled. Anxiety is a serious problem, but it's brought on to our, we bring it on ourselves. We bring it on ourselves. By interfering in everybody else's life, by measuring ourselves, by how many people like us. What young lady in our house today needs to realize that not being invited to the party where everybody's posting pictures about it on Instagram is not actually that important? In the grand scheme of life, it's not that important. It's not. I know it, when you're 16, those things feel like they're huge. Man, talk to someone, not your parents, who's 45. And I'll tell you, man, that stuff is stupid. And the day I graduated high school, everybody that I thought was so important, the day after I graduated high school, those people, I never saw them again. So, don't define yourself by temporary acquaintances. You're bringing anxiety in your life, you're checking on too many things, you're involved in too many, like some of you gotta cut off the Facebook groups that you're involved in. You're in every neighborhood Facebook group, aren't you? You're in every single one. (laughs) And you're the the moderator, aren't you? You're the moderator, you sick weirdo, stop it. (laughs) Let it go. Who cares what they are doing? This is Martha syndrome. Anxiety, this word he says, you are anxious. Let me give you this word in Greek, it's merinmas, and it means an apprehension about possible danger or misfortune. That's what he's talking about. That's the word for anxi- anxious in this passage. There was a time that I went through, a season that I went through, where things were good in my life, but I would wake up at 2 a.m. almost three times a week. I would wake up at 2 a.m., and I would have just this foreboding over my life. And I would think, ah, oh, the church is gonna close tomorrow, and I'm not gonna be able to pay my mortgage, and, and my kids are gonna walk away from the Lord, and I don't know how I'm gonna handle this, and I've got too many things, I, oh my goodness. I, anybody ever been there just foreboding? Dark, it felt like a darkness just hovering over my head. And I, would, and I would do a stupid thing. You know what I would do? I would turn on the television and watch television, thinking that would fix it. That doesn't fix it. I found a key. There's a key. There's a secret. Be a Mary. Be a Mary. So what I started to do was like, all right, devil, if you're going to wake me up, I'm going to read the Word of God. And I'll keep the lights off, and I would open the Bible app on my phone so I could keep it nice and dark and just me and Jesus, and I would just read until I fell asleep again. It was amazing how I would only have to get through like one or two chapters, and I'd be tired, and I fell into the sweet peace of Jesus. The Bible says that he gives sleep to his beloved. You ever think about it? the Bible tells us that God wants to give you good sleep. The devil wants you awake and struggling and wrestling. And not, Nope, the Bible says, my father wants me resting. He leads me beside quiet waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. That's my father. You are anxious and you are troubled. The word troubled means uh, emotionally upset. So she's, (laughs) she's thinking about misfortune and she's upset emotionally. How did she get here? She based her life on what she did instead of what God came to do for her. On the way to the, Jesus is on the way to give his blood for her. And she's measuring her life against her sister and against what she's done. Number three, you're a Mary, write this down. Your life is complicated, too complicated. That's point number three. My life is too complicated. Because what does Jesus say? He says you're anxious and you're troubled about what? Many things. And and this is the Mary syndrome. How many know that anxieties have babies? You're worrying about one thing that leads to another thing that leads to another thing. And before you know it, you've given yourself a to-do list that's a mile long because one anxiety. How am I gonna pay my rent today? Oh my gosh, if I can't pay my rent, how am I gonna buy food? And if I can't buy food, how am I gonna survive? And if I can't survive, how am I gonna take care of this? How am I gonna do that? I'm I don't know And before you know, you've you've let the brain, in league with the devil, build a generational kind of like, you know, system inside of you that just causes you to panic constantly. About so many, you've got multiple leashes on your neck pulling you in multiple directions. And, and what I know about my life, and I've got dogs, and uh, what I love about them, I don't, I don't want them. <laughs> Pastor Shane and Marianne forced me to get dogs. <laughs> and I blame them, but these, these dogs love to be with me and in the morning in my favorite time of the day Cheryl gets out of bed a little bit earlier than me and as soon as she gets out of bed and goes into the living room the dogs know that's the sign there's space next to master and before I know it I feel a little and then number two and then they know now they just put their backs up against me and then they just rest with me and then they wait for me to turn over and then I like pet them and then they lick my face and I throw them off the bed. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's not a coincidence that dog is God backwards. (laughs) Because he wants to just be with you. Now he's not a dog and you're not the master. He's the master and you're the child and he's just waiting for things to get out of the way so that he can have time with you. Come come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What are you, what's on your calendar this week that you need to stop giving free rent up in here or in here, and just say, he's the master. I've got one leash that I'm tied to. I've got one master in my life, and I am tied to him. Write this down, discipleship is a call to simplicity. It is, it's a simple gospel, isn't it? Paul said that to the disciples, to the Corinthians, he says, I, uh, to the Galatians, he says, I fear that your mind might be deceived and you might be led away from the simplicity that is in Christ. It's not a complicated thing to be a Christian, it really isn't. To be a Christian is to know that you're not good enough to get to heaven, that you're really actually a, a sinful, broken, messed up person that God dearly loves. And has made a way for you to come into relationship with Him. What does Jesus say to Mary, a oh, Martha? One thing is necessary. One, Mary's chosen. Notice the word chosen. Underline chosen in the in your notes, please. She made the choice, and you've got to make the choice for the good portion. And if you make that choice, here's the promise: it won't be taken away from you. You never will lose it. You'll never be lost. If you you make the choice to define your life by what Jesus has done for you and not by all the measurements of humanity and all the games of our communities and social medias and all that stuff, and you let that go, and you say, Father, I am not who I am because of what I have done. I am who I am because of what you have done. I am a child of the Most High God. I am a sinner saved by grace. You know, what great, you know what real discipleship is? It's when you realize that you're far worse than you think and you're far more loved than you'll ever realize. That's discipleship. That's what Mary found. Mary's gonna be the one who in John chapter 12 comes to Jesus' feet and she breaks the oil jar and she pours it on his feet and she wipes it with her hair and Jesus says, she's prepared my body for burial. And then there's Judas with the performance mindset, right? Judas is like, hey, 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 that could have been sold and the money given to the poor. Performance, 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 but he didn't care about the poor because he was stealing from the treasury box himself. Performance, don't let performance and others break the peace that God wants to bring to you. What did Dave, David say in Psalm 27? One thing I have asked, one thing I have asked, Psalm 27:4 that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. What did Paul say in Philippians 3.13? He says, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and all my measurements in the world of the Pharisees and the religious people and all that stuff, all that Judaism about measuring who I went to school with and where I studied and how many advantages, I, I, what tribe I was from, I, I forget all that and I press on toward the goal, the prize of the upward call of Jesus Christ. Christianity is not a program, Christianity is a person. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. What does, we talked about this rich young ruler two weeks ago, what does Jesus say to him in Mark chapter 10? It says he looked at him and he loved him, and he said, you lack what? One thing, follow me. Me, defining your life by me. So what busy people need to do, three things, and then we're done. Number one, stop performing, start receiving, and repeat. (laughs) <laughs> Stop performing, start receiving, repeat. Get alone with the Lord, open your Bible, spend time with it. It's light, it's life, it's truth, it's health. It restores you. Do it again and again and again until it becomes a habit, until it's something that you can't go to bed without doing. It takes, I think, 21 days, That's a big, you know, big moniker, 21 days to create a habit, I think it's more like 30 days. So you spend like a 30-day period where you're just going to open the Bible, even if it's for 15 minutes, and you're going to let God just receive, receive. Let me receive. What does God want to say to me? First John chapter 5, verse 11, it says, this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Stop performing and start receiving. Uh, Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is what? Stayed, underlined stayed because we put our minds on the Lord, but we don't stay our mind on the Lord, stayed on you because He trusts in you. And I wonder who here needs to hear Jesus say something to them. Some of you need to hear God say, I will provide there. And some of you need to hear God say, you need to forgive them because I've forgiven you." And some of you need to hear God say, I'm working all things together for the good of those that love me and are called according to my purposes. And some of you need to hear the Lord say, I'm with you and I'll never leave you or forsake you. And some of you need to hear God say, wherever sin increased, grace increased all the more. Are there any great sinners in the house today? again with the spiritual faces toward me. You all should have your hands up because great sinners get greater grace. So, sermon resolve and then we're done. This is it. Life at the feet of Jesus is not a performance. It demands zero comparison with others and it leads to a grateful peace in our heart. Now, I close with this thought. Mary is a woman And in the Bible times, it was unheard of for a woman to sit at the feet of a rabbi. But Jesus does not rebuke the outsider from getting close to him. And at all of our locations today, it's not about your gender at all, but it's about how you've chosen to define yourself for far too long. I'm not welcome. Surely God can't forgive me. I'm not like those good Christian people. I'm not religious. I don't, I can't get the Yes, you can. Jesus breaks all the codes of humanity and welcomes anyone who will come.